You do things your own way. You make things your own, just the way you like them. Your bank should do that for you, too. The Bank of Clark is the bank for that. From banking to lending to wealth management, when you need financial services built just for you, we're the bank for that. Find out what banking design just for you is all about. Call 1-800-650-8723. Visit your local Bank of Clark branch today or go to bankofclark.bank. That's bankofclark.bank. We're the bank for that. Member FDIC. Now, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon, my, uh, well, third episode this week, which, yeah, I know, my uh, my farewell tour is uh, not doing so well. In fact, uh, listen, it is sponsored by some of the greatest bands in history, uh, Scorpions, Kiss, Judas Priest, Thunder, Ozzy, The Who, Motley Crue, Black Sabbath, and Status Quo. So if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. And I think like all those bands, you uh, step away with good intentions, and then you go, man, I miss doing this. So uh, I am back here for some uh, heavy metal shuffle, and I have got Victor Langan of great Canadian band Kickaxe. Now, Kickaxe, man, they were signed by Spencer Proffer, the, the, the wonderful man that brought you Quiet Riot back in the day, which some could argue were the... Uh, the genesis of the Sunset Strip, you know, if Quiet Riot hadn't got popular and if that ha- album hadn't gone to number one, would we have had the 80s as we know them with Poison and Motley Crue? Would record companies have run out and signed all those bands? Some say no. So Spencer, I guess, gave us uh, the Sunset Strip and Hair Nation and Hair Metal or whatever you want to call it. Now, and by the way, Spencer was tapped to do the first Guns N' Roses record. And uh, show co-host and friend Alan Niven said, uh-uh, not going to happen, over my dead body. And so we never got uh, Spencer touching the Guns N' Roses camp. You know, good. <laughs> anyway, uh, Victor and I, we, we discuss all things kick-ass, what went right, what went wrong. And of course, we touch upon all our great buddies in the Canadian music scene from Loverboy to Helix to the Killer Dwarves to Honeymoon Suite and so on and so forth. I have always supported uh, music, and I have, of course, always been a homer and have supported the local bands and the local scene. And by local, I mean, you know, coast to coast, 3,000 kilometers, (laughs) whatever. But, uh, you know, listen, there was a lot of great Canadian music, which, you know, uh, other territories never really got to see. Growing up here, we got to see Gowan and Honeymoon Suite and Brian Adams in his development and all that. Now, of course, uh, mind you, there's a lot of great American bands that never really had a lot of airplay up here. Now, I did get to to become a Rat fan, for example, but Rat wasn't really shown on TV up here, and, and they never really played up here. I think they did one show at the Maple Leaf Gardens, and then they did a bunch of opening slots, but they never really toured, like when they were a major arena act with Bon Jovi and stuff opening, they, they weren't coming up here. So, you know, listen, it's, it, it's a half, half empty, half full kind of thing. But uh, let us talk Kick-Ass. Great band. Should have been. Could have been. Would have been. It didn't work out. But they are back. They reformed in the early 2000s. Put out an album in 2004. Haven't put it out anything else since 2004 mind you it's been 16 years so maybe a new album is in order or a live package or something just to let the fans know that there's 
Still some creativity going on, but without uh, further ado, here is from a great kick-ass band. It is Kick-Asses, or Kick-Axes. That's hard to say back-to-back. It is Kick-Axes, Victor Langen. We are speaking with Victor Langen of the band Kick-Axe, or should I say the great Canadian band Kick-Axe. And as we say in Montreal, bonjour. How are you? I'm doing great, Mitch. Great to hear from you. Yeah, and... and what folks don't know is that we're covering the country today. Well, I'm in, in Montreal on the East Coast, and he's out in Vancouver on the West Coast. So we've got the whole country at our uh, at our feet today. <laughs> yeah, beautiful Montreal. Wish I was there. But uh, yeah, it's a beautiful day in Vancouver, too, just to get the weather out of the way. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how I start every episode. I, I always go, so it's uh, four degrees and sunny. How is it where you are? No, I'm kidding. Um <laughs> But uh, and by the way, it's not four degrees. It's it's a lot warmer. Uh, but I want to talk about about kick axe and, and the Canadian scene and bands because listen, I, I'm I'm and I'm going to name drop folks. And I know I know everybody loves when I do that. But I'm I'm very good friends with Russ Dwarf of the Killer Dwarves. I'm very good friends with Brian of Helix, Derry and uh, Johnny of of Honeymoon Suite. But I've never sort of been around the kick axe camp, and so this is exciting to. Because this is one of these bands that has been around for many, 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 many years, and still going strong. So, so, uh, Victor, why why have we not met along the way? That's what I want to know. That's question number one. Why are you not coming to the East Coast more often? That's that's the number one question. Other well, number one question is whatever happened to Kick X? But that's always asked by people in the east. Well, yeah, I I don't know. We we don't need a passport to come east. It just doesn't seem to happen. We've we've made the attempts. You know, we used to play out that way a lot. Uh, you know, Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa, Hull. You know, the Kitchener Waterloo uh, belt there. Uh, but uh, yeah, it it just. In fact, I, I'll get this out of the way. Uh, we were planning for 2020 as to where we would spearhead for the east. We wanted to go all the way to Nova Scotia, and God bless those folks. But uh, yeah, then uh, COVID hit, so here we are. You know, we're just we're sitting, but we we got some irons in the fire, and we were planning that for 2020, and now we got to wait. Yeah, you gotta wait. So, so okay. So, I mentioned some of those great Canadian bands, the Helix and the Honeymoon Suite and the Killer Dwarves. Talk to me about what sort of went went on with Kick Axe because you get signed by the one and only Spencer Proffer, mm-hmm. and we expect the band to to get to this next level to be in the pantheons with your Judas Priests and your Iron Maidens and all this. And then by nineteen eighty eight. It's sort of all done. Of course, there's a reunion tour 15 years later. But, but talk yep. to me about about what went right and what went wrong. And I know that's sort of the, the big question. But <laughs> but let let let's start with that because when you've got Spencer, who gave us Quiet Riot, and who gave us yep. Come On Feel the Noise, and who gave us essentially with that Quiet Riot album, the Sunset Strip and the beginning of. 80s hair metal, and I know people hate that term, but listen, it's, it's a descriptor and it describes the situation. Um, how did you meet Spencer, and, and where did it go right, and then when did it sort of take a left turn that you just went, what the hmm. fuck? 
Well, uh, let's let's just say we, we were based, uh, you know, we originally started out in the middle of Canada, a little old Regina, Saskatchewan, the city that rhymes with fun. Um, we started there. We uh, came to the West Coast and uh, pounded our way to the top, let's say, you know, amongst others, uh, the whole scene out here with head pins and lover boy, Brian Adams, all, all this sort of stuff. They all were getting signed and uh yeah so we went into little old mushroom studios which legendary here in vancouver and uh, recorded a demo and we got our manager i should mention also managed street heart uh prairie band from winnipeg and uh anyway street heart had just completed a record down at pasha studios called uh dancing with danger and so our manager had an in with spencer and right around the time Quiet Riot was starting to just rise up uh, was when we got our our demo tape from Mush- from the Mushroom Studios into his hands. And uh, he was intrigued by it all and flew up to see us in a <laughs> some scuzz bar, let's call it, in Edmonton, Alberta, during a blizzard, like minus 40. So, yeah, he flew up from Hollywood, saw us play for like 10 minutes. And uh, just said, okay, I want you in Hollywood, uh, November such and such, 1983. It, it was Grey Cup weekend. We we, we remember that because we played a Grey Cup party before getting in the van and driving to Hollywood. But <laughs> yeah, so 1983, late fall. And he flew up, watched us for all of 10 minutes, said, okay, we got a deal. And next thing you know, lo and behold, there we go. There we go. And uh yeah, and it was there was a connection, you know, through Streetheart being there, and uh, it got the wheels in motion, and we, we were his next thing. And uh, as as the weeks went by, there, I believe his Quiet Ride guys were touring with Iron Maiden, is, is what I want to say, and went through the roof. And by the time we arrived in Hollywood, they had just gotten their um, certification as number one on Billboard, so that really got everybody fired up we're thinking oh my god you know this is wonderful a crazy roller coaster we're riding but hey i'm yakking on and on i hope that answered the question <laughs> it does and and i do want to ask you about this because the the vancouver scene was very ripe uh back in that early 80s with jim valance and with brian adams and, and mike reno and all those guys a lot of them hung out at Little Mountain Studios, and you listen to albums by, you know, whatever it's, you know, Foreigner or Motley Crue or Night Ranger, and it's like, oh, Brian sang backing vocals on that. Oh, this. were you part of that scene, too, where you were sort of hanging around, and, and do you appear mysteriously on kind, on all kinds of albums? Uh, no, I'm not, not part of that crew. i got buddies out here that are uh, guys like Mark LaFrance or... Yeah, uh, that's that's the guy. Yeah, I, I just interviewed Mark. He he did all the the Motley stuff cool. for, for crying out that's loud. That's right. Yeah, Motley Poison, I believe. Uh, yeah, I I was hanging around Little Mountain. I was you know was you know was part of the scene here, but it, it didn't do any singing or nothing. It would just be you know take the guys over to the strip clubs. You know, like <laughs> the Bon Jovi boys. That's where they got slippery when wet. Was from the shower at the Number Five Orange. But anyways, that's a whole other story. Um, well, but hey, wait a minute. Yeah. A Bon Jovi story is always a good sell. So <laughs> did you have a chance to hang out with John and Richie and those guys back then? And, and, and were you part of that? Yeah. Okay, so lots, hold on. Let, let's lots. go there because let me tell you one thing. 
I've been doing this since 1996, and whenever I mention Guns N' Roses, Bon Jovi, Def Leppard, or Kiss, the numbers go through the roof. So, <laughs> so, so talk to me about that. So Bon Jovi comes into Vancouver to do Slippery When Wet. Uh, yeah. And yeah, they yeah. go over to the, uh, to the to the what do you want to call it? the Peeler Club? I guess that's the polite way of putting it. Yeah, uh, that's what we call it. <laughs> and and so so what is your what is kicks at kick axes? Boy, it's hard to say sometimes. Association with uh, Bon Jovi at that time. Oh, uh, it's yeah. I I would uh, well. I wasn't uh, married at the time, so I, I knew a lot of these gals, and a lot of them were from back east. I should point out, Mitch, uh, Montreal and Toronto girls coming out to Vancouver for the big bucks, and uh, yeah, it was there must have been twenty strip clubs, in, like, and fifteen of them in downtown Vancouver at that time, and that's what, what uh, when they got the guys. I can't remember somebody, uh, Bruce Fairburn, or somebody said, "Hey, can uh, I got to go pick these guys up at the airport? Some boys from Jersey." So anyways, yeah, I had a little van and hanging around, just uh, can't remember the exact details, but I got them in the van, and, and the first thing that they mentioned they wanted to do was, A, uh, John wanted to know where the best Italian restaurant was, and then after that, they wanted to go to the legendary strip clubs. Uh, I think they had the same manager as Motley Crue at the time, so Motley had been here too doing, uh, oh, what's that, Dr. Feelgood one too, that's kind of... And I, I knew, uh, oh God, geez, now I'm name dropping. But when they were here doing that, that's how I got to know everybody at, at Little Mountain because the Motley Crue guys were coming out to a club where I was running a jam night. And yeah, just one thing led to another. It's a little hazy, but uh, uh, yeah. So the Motley guys told the Bon Jovi boys about all these strip clubs where the girls take off all their clothes. <laughs> and they they were quite excited by such a possibility. So yeah, we... We hit a few, the Marble Arch and all the ones that Motley sings about and Girls, Girls, Girls. That's what that song's about, the strip scene here. But anyways, now we're off off topic, I bet. <laughs> no, I love this topic because it, 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 it dawns on me that the Slippery When Wet album title and cover is in some part due to you. <laughs> so, so well, I, no, I I was just uh, showing them around. That's all. And uh, in the it, there, there's a uh, glass enclosed shower at the the number five orange. One of the few survivors that is still open today, and it's a little worse for wear, but it's still there. Uh, the sign is still hanging in the shower. And it's the same sign. That is that Slip, is great. Slippery when wet. Slippery when yeah. wet. All right. So let, let me let, let me get away from from that for a second and just ask you this sure. then, um, <laughs> and then we'll get back to to your band. I promise. But during yeah, that, no that that slippery recording, were you in the studio at any time? Did you get a chance to see? Did you get a chance to hear anything? And then, if you say um, yes, let me ask you some other questions. Uh, well, there there was a run through uh, of uh, I'm a cowboy. What's that now? Uh, Anyway, wanted dead or alive? Yeah, 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 they're sitting in the, in the uh, lounge area with the couches, and Richie had the twelve string, and John had his sixer, and they're sort of strumming through that. And I was thinking to myself, "Geez, that's a damn good song they got going on here." <laughs> and uh, then it became what it became. But uh, yeah, I, I saw the the infancy of that one being born. That's about all I, yeah, the other stuff I think was all pretty much packaged up by Fairburn, you know, the, the, the hit factory stuff. 
Well, listen, you, you, you can't go wrong with Bruce. Uh, he, oh, he, no, no. He was, man, you know, you, you look at that at that time uh, in Vancouver with everybody there, with Jim and Brian and, and Bruce Allen and, and, and Bob Rock and, and Fairbairn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Mikey Fraser can't forget him. Mike Fraser, I, I mean, it, yeah. it's uh, and even Mark LaFrance, who's who's appearing on everybody's album with backing vocals, and uh, I mean, what a hotbed of of everything rock. I mean, it, it was remarkable because you don't you don't we don't really have that story about Montreal or or Regina or Toronto. It really was that little concentration of just anyway, whatever. Let's uh, let, let's yeah. Let's get on to 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 vices. Um, so sure. you, you sit down with with uh, Pasha Records and Spencer, and you put out vices. Now, is this one of these albums that you have been working on for, you know, ten years before you were working all these stuff out <laughs> in the club, and then you get to the records thing and you you put them down, or is it Spencer sits you down and says, "Okay, boys, we got to write some songs." How how did the hot one come together? Because to this day. To this day, you hear 30 Days in a Hole and some of this other stuff that you did alive and kicking, uh, just passing through, and all these songs. Still great. So so talk to me about that, the genesis of that album. Well, let's see, Mitch. Uh, it's a bit of both. Uh, there, okay, put it this way. Heavy Metal Shuffle, which is probably our number one calling card song that everybody knows, whether... You know, like like it just seems like everybody pins that to us first when they go, oh, I heard a kick axe, yeah, that heavy metal shuffle. Anyways, that song was the very first song we wrote as uh, the the core of of the group, Larry Gilsterman, myself, and my brother was the drummer then, Gary. Uh, way way back in 1976, we wrote that song together, and it stayed pretty much intact. A few a few. Uh, Clipping cuts here and there by Spencer, you know, like, yeah, yeah, let's stop. You know what I mean? Some producer stuff. But that song was the very first song we ever wrote as Kick Axes, you know, basically teenagers. And uh, then some other ones, we were hanging at Spencer's place in Beverly Hills, you know, uh, writing stuff like Just Passing Through. Um, Vices, that song was written in his home studio, like, yeah, we'd hang out for the weekend in Beverly Hills. It was crazy. Uh, weekend after weekend, coming up with this stuff. All the Right Moves was another one. That is a little bit too L.A. glam scene for me, but uh, it's still fun to play. We pull it out every now and then and play it live. Um, but yeah, a lot of it alive and kicking on the road to rock. We We had worked those songs up on our own. Spencer just took them lock, stock, and barrel the way they were. Didn't touch it, you know. Didn't change words or <laughs> just said, "Yeah, that's we're going with it." So, all right. So then, talk to me a little bit about the marketing push for it because I remember I was sitting in my living room here in in, in Montreal watching Much Music, Pepsi Power Hour, JD Roberts, uh, you know, Erica M, all these wonderful yeah. people, and yeah. they're they're pushing the heck out of it. Uh, was Pasha and Spencer behind the band where they were giving you a, a big push and getting you on the, the headlines and on, and on the opening slots of these big shows. And, and and just talk to me about some of the marketing that went into it. Because, you know, the band, come 1988, you, you dissolve. And it just seems to me when you hear these albums <laughs> that you should have been, you know. So, so tell me about that. 
Well, uh, okay, first of all, we were quite young when a lot of this was going on, early 20s. Uh, all we cared about was, you know, is there beer in the dressing room or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> wow, we're, you know, we made it. There's beer in the dressing room. Great. Okay. But uh, no, uh, to get a little more serious, uh, we, you know, we, we were just focused on playing the music and trusting our manager, you know, who was, you know, well-known here in Canada, Mr. Stratacek, and he street heart to great heights and uh the marketing was with cbs records out of toronto uh you know so everything was in good hands uh usa was spencer himself was doing a lot of press hyping us up as his next big thing that he had high hopes and i remember a lot of stuff going on we were doing interviews for japanese magazines brazil you know Germany, Netherlands, all, all this stuff. Uh, we, we, we just did as we were told, let's say for, for better or worse, you know, maybe we should have kept our eye on the business, but everything was about the music for us as young, young guys, uh, just out to conquer the world. And yeah, it all went, uh, kind of sideways. It's a long story. That's not worth getting into here, but, uh, there, there were some business issues on our manager's side of the fence that, led to our demise let's say and 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 to both us and streetheart we crashed and burned at that point there by 1986 87 things were starting to fall off you know the wheels were coming off yeah which is which is too bad okay so so let me get into some of the other topics that that are sort of classic topics to uh, to discuss um you, okay. you get writing on uh, a new album and, and Spencer comes in. Now, this is how I've been told the story. So you're going to correct me and tell me where I'm wrong and you're going to tell me where I'm right. But uh, from what I understand, sure. you're writing these songs and Spencer comes to you and says, man, those are great songs. And then a song like Hunger, he hands it over to King Cobra. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. wait, wait a minute. Why, why are you handing my song over to him? So, so uh, tell me about that. Did, did they I, I, listen? I don't want to say steal your song because that's not necessarily correct. But did they sort well, of usurp your right to record your own song? Well, here's here's how it worked in the fine print that we didn't. You know, we should have had a lawyer maybe, <laughs> but we were just so excited to be heading south instead of east and west across Canada. We were heading down the I five to Los Angeles, so we just said, "Let's do it." Uh, but here, here's how it worked, Mitch. Uh, we basically signed over our souls to the devil. Uh, not, not saying, and I'm just saying as a figure of speech, we, we handed everything over, everything, publishing, uh, control of everything, you know, like how we comb our hair, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> or don't comb it or well, no, what, but listen, every, you make a joke. It's but, all but, handed over. But imaging is very important. And some managers will say, listen, we are going to craft your image from the way you wear your shoes to the way you cut your hair. So yep. fans might yep. think you're joking, but it does happen. Oh, it was uh, pre way more uh, normal. It, uh, it was standard issue then, man. Everything, you know, like I think a lot of record companies had uh, large shares in, uh, you know, hairspray companies and everything because everyone had to do it. And I'm sure my old buddy uh, Russ Dwarf from uh, Killer Doors could tell you much the same kind of stories about how we were controlled by all the bands back then, Poison, everybody. But um yeah, the, it, with with hunger, as you mentioned, uh, a, a situation occurred while we were recording Vices. Uh, Spencer got this 
this assignment to do uh he he had to do a film soundtrack for some sort of animal house movie called up the creek which that's where 30 days in the hole came in he had us do that but then uh yeah so we had a break doing vices and then he says ah, i'm going skiing in aspen here's the keys to pasha studios i'm giving you hans peter huber the swiss engineer and uh he says, I want you to write me a bunch of songs because after you guys, I got Black Sabbath coming in. And we go, wow, cool. So he says, uh, he says he wants us young whippersnappers to write songs for Black Sabbath to make them more up to date. So we go, okay. <laughs> so we did. Hunger was one of those songs. And uh, there's a bunch of other ones. Uh, Blackie Lawless with Wasp took one of them, Wild in the Streets and... Uh, but he just plain out took it. He paid Spencer Proffer's Porsche payment for six months or something and then just walked away with it. But anyways, that's a whole other story. Uh, which, which I, which I yeah, want to so hear at some point because you look at The Last Command, writing credits and running wild in the street is credited to Blackie Lawless and Spencer. And you go, mother <laughs> So, Spencer so, didn't write the. Spencer was skiing in Aspen, Colorado, when that song was put together on this weekend. He gave us the keys, so we, we yeah we wrote like five six songs, and we're you know he's going oh this is great yes this is all great great great, um so yeah we're thinking okay that's great so we we wrap up everything we're doing we come back to Canada. Next thing we know, our manager's saying hey yeah the, there's this uh, band. Uh, or no, no, we were in, we were doing some dates with Rat. Uh, we were in Nashville playing on some lake on a floating stage with Rat, and Carmine Apathy rolls up. He's he's actually in Nashville and comes back. He goes, hey, I just want to tell you guys, I really loved uh, those songs you guys uh, laid down. And Spencer gave me the green light to take a few of them for my new project, King Cobra. I'm going, what? <laughs> <laughs> nobody's telling us anything but uh, yeah so he says yeah hunger and peace of the rock are going on uh ready to strike or something uh anyways so that's when we first started going what's going on there because we were thinking well we get you know, black sabbath uh had already fallen apart ian gillen went back to deep purple as as history shows to do perfect strangers and that was that so we figured while well, these songs are in the can down in pasha in the can meaning in the vault Nope. Spencer is shopping them everywhere. And, uh, yeah. Then hunger, our, our demo version ended up on the soundtrack for, uh, what, what do they call that? Transformers. Yeah. The transform. Okay. So, so let me stop you for a second. Cause there's a lot of stuff uh, sure. that, that I want to cover. <laughs> I know it goes off in all directions, doesn't it? Yeah, but that's great. Cause I, that, it gives me, it gives me a lot of directions to explore. And, and I will say this for the record up the Creek, the song by cheap trick from that soundtrack. Love it. Love that song. But all right. So, so, so you're yeah, doing it. It's great. <laughs> I'm up the creek. Then it's oh, so crazy. Anyway, you don't want me to sing. Uh, but so let me ask you this then. Uh, you're doing all this writing and, and he ha he's shown confidence in your ability. He says, okay, I want you to write mm -hmm. for Tony Iommi and Ian Gillen, which even in 1983, 84, 85, they were certainly not schmoes. I mean, right? I mean, they, they were the guys. Oh. Uh, oh, God, they were gods to us. Of course. And and, and he says uh, Wasp is going to take a song and, and, and King Cobra. So do you at some point say, okay, maybe this band thing's not for me. Maybe I should just settle down here in, in on Sunset Boulevard and get a hotel or apartment 
and just be a songwriter. Because listen, you look at uh, Jim Valance, which we mentioned. You look at Desmond mm-hmm. Child, Holly Knight, uh, all these people, um, Diane Warren. You know, they've made a killing just being a songwriter. So did you ever think, hey, maybe being in a band is not worth it? I could just sit and crank out these songs? Was well, that ever a consideration? Well, I guess what it comes down to is that it was never about money. Like, we never gave a second thought. Like I said earlier, as long as there's like 96 beer in the dressing room, we're good to go. <laughs> a pizza on top would be a bonus. Yeah, well, now we're in heaven. But yeah, it was well, always see, about, you know. I'll, like I'll be booking your hard, next Montreal you know? show then. I'm going to book your next Montreal show. 96 beers and a pizza. <laughs> You're, we, we've got a deal. But all right, it's all about the show. Go on. <laughs> I, I don't know. It might be the sticking point where we don't have any bookings there yet. Maybe no promoters ready to go 96, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, back back then, yeah, it was just, uh, you know, you, you thought you were going to do this forever. You thought it was your your golden ticket uh, for what you're doing with the rest of your life. But what do you know when you're 22, 23 years old, right? But, uh, yeah, yeah, there's some uh, other things, uh, uh, other songs that trickled away. Uh, Another one, like, you know, our our demo of Nothing's Gonna Stand in Our Way. We had two songs on the Transformers thing. The Nothing's Gonna Stand in Our Way just flat out flew away. (laughs) Ended up with someone else's name on it completely. But uh, but it was related to uh, Pasha Studios. Like, Like I say, we... The fine print. It was all in the fine print that we really had no rights to anything that we conjured up in the midst of Pasha. Yeah, they yeah. owned it, you know? They, they got you. All right, so let me ask you this. Uh, the Transformer movies uh, comes out. It has your song or songs on it. And CBS says, oh, no, 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 no. This is a PG movie. You can't be called Kick-Ass <laughs> because it sounds like Kick-Ass. And they change well, you to Spectre General. Now, uh, that, as, as silly as it may sound, did you at any point give thought to maybe to play the game? We need to change our name to something more PG. And, and when Spectre General hit, did you just say, well, well fuck it. Let's just go with this name. It's uh, funny you mentioned that, Mitch. Uh, it, we were not told any of this stuff that it was that these songs were even coming out of the vault at Pasha to be put onto this thing, or or that they had changed our name. We we didn't know until the product was out, the movie was out, and the soundtracks being pitched. You know, back when there used to be record stores and whatnot, but. Uh, we, we weren't told a damn thing about it. Our manager never heard about it. It was just like, what, what's, that's our song. <laughs> you know, what, what's going to Spectre general? Who the hell, who are they though? But that's us. Why didn't they change the name? So, yeah, I think it was, it, they, they just made something up because there was the hearings were going on, you know, where D Snyder had to defend rock and roll and, uh, you know, all these people were going to Washington, the, all those cranky wives of, senators and whatnot the pmrc or whatever they're called the attack was happening on on the integrity of you know rock was ruining the young people of the world or whatever it was so yeah kick uh might have been a little edgier than it comes across as now you know it's just kick ass but yeah that uh, we, we we knew nothing about it no one ran it by us and then i think they just okay, came up so- with a sm- smoke screen to say oh yeah it's too edgy but we did think about it we thought about well 
Christ, we got all this, you know, if we, if they would have used their name, Kickaxe, it would have been that next step up. It would have been. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. Like, so, so let me ask you this, because I'm, I'm curious here, because yes, you signed a contract where they control everything. You know, rookie mistake. Okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, you, uh, what was I going to say? You're, you're, oh, I lost my question. <laughs> that's okay i do it all the time <laughs> i know you see what happens when we get older you just you just lose stuff but mm-hmm. but uh, talk to me then a little bit about um wow i i have completely gone blank uh give me one second here well we kind of just went off topic there about the 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 name change thing but yeah it, there was contemplation about well Jesus, Spectre General's way bigger than Kickax all of a sudden because of Transformers. Maybe we should jump on that. And then we thought, no, that's selling out. <laughs> it is selling out. But all right. So I, I remember my question now because these questions comes as we do this. But talk to me about all this control and, and why was there this lack of communication with management? Because you 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 appear on King Cobra. Didn't know. You appear on... Transformers didn't know. They changed your name. You didn't know. You're on last command. You don't know. <laughs> Why were you not? Listen, I know back then we didn't have text and email and stuff, but still we had phones. So why were you not getting a call going, hey, bro, uh, I got a great deal for uh, your band. Well, why were you not getting the respect? That's the word. Uh, I'm I'm not sure. I mean, uh, I'm thinking back to that day and age. uh uh, I was usually the band liaison person to, you know, whenever we'd stop at a truck stop while touring America, I'd go to the payphone booth while the bus driver fuels up and I'd phone our manager. And if I got through, great, I'd get to talk to him. But uh, yeah, he, he was in the dark, it seems, about a lot of these things too. It was just like, yeah, just keep playing like i mean we we went from one tour to the next to the next to the next there's you know judas priest for 37 nights then on to white snake quiet riot for another 35 scorpions i uh, you know then triumph we did some canadian dates it was like uh, you you didn't even know what city you're in literally just like in you know (laughs) some of these movies that you see about rock bands where they have to put the name of the city on the stage for everyone to know where they are. But well, uh, yeah, there if, there wasn't much uh, chance. There was no texting, no email. I don't even think we had fax machines yet. <laughs> no, probably, probably you know? not. Okay, so, so uh, you know, normally I do about half an hour. We're, we're there now. So let me just ask a few more questions and, and, and see where we go from here. So the, okay. band, yeah. the band... Keep her down. The band implodes, and, and I, I say that respectfully, but that's what happened. Uh, it's a long story. <laughs> another chapter. Another chapter. <laughs> but but in two thousand three, you get this itching to to do it and come back. Um, talk to me about that and and how was that decision made? And um, well, let's go with that, and then I'll have another question for you right after. Okay, Mitch. I'll, I'll keep it short on that. Yeah. What what happened was uh, CBS Sony. Um, decided to do a reissue of our first two Kickaxe albums on Pasha, the uh, Vices and the Welcome to the Club. And that all happened around 2000, 2001. And then they ended up selling out uh, the initial run. They did a second run. And then we, get, then we got contacted. I, I can't remember 
who it was because I didn't have the initial contact. Larry Gilstrom got the call um, about putting the band back together and doing some some dates, you know, like select dates, Los Angeles, New York, Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, you know, that sort of thing for these reissues because apparently they, you know, they had pressed 5,000 and they would all just sell out. So we're going, hmm, never really thought about it. We'd all moved on to other things. A few of us, you know, here in Vancouver involved with the movie industry and whatnot. But anyways... So we figured, okay, we'll do it. And George, the singer, George Kristen, couldn't commit to it because he had his he had his mitts full with, uh, you know, our old tour manager started a record company called Network, and so they were promoting Sarah McLaughlin and stuff touring. And uh, it's a long story; <laughs> it's way too long to go on here. But yeah, that's how it happened. We we were asked to get back together, and we waited several years for George to clear up his uh, schedule, but it never did. And so we got a Regina boy, Danny Nargang, to take his spot. Uh, but anyways, yeah, there's probably a whole bunch of stuff I'm missing. But right. No, I know we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get to it. Um, okay, so then in 2000, so you, so you got together basically to do sort of like a promo run for these two re-releases. That's, that's, that's the short version. Um, yeah, and then, and then other offers started coming in. So now here we are today doing these things. But yeah. So then in 2004, you make a new album, Kick-Axe 4. Uh, oh, me, yeah. Wow. I can't believe you forgot your own album. But no, but uh, talk to me about that. And, and why is it in 2020, we're sitting here 16 years on and you haven't done any new music? Because obviously you're playing shows and it sort of, <laughs> it sort of, it sort of speaks to, the, to the, the point I sometimes make is, when you don't really need new music if you have a catalog. You can just go and tour and put the name on the marquee and fans will come. Um, but as a creative person, don't you want to sort of say, hey, just before we wrap this up, just give it one last go and make one more whatever song? Well, okay. Well, we are in the midst of that. There, The problem we have is uh, we're, we're kind of, although we live in the Vancouver area, we rarely see each other. We're, we're kind of busy with what's going on. And now the whole world's changed. So once we're allowed out of uh, isolation, no, we, we have uh, recording facilities, two, two different studios amongst band members, like full on everything. Uh, Larry and Raymond have, access to all this stuff and are quite active there we have recorded stuff mitch and it's just a matter of finishing it and then we're probably our own worst critics it's like nah, that's not good enough no nah, it's not good enough but whatever we'll we'll get it out there it's now that was all part of the thing when we came back from the chris jericho cruise at the end of january you know before this dark cloud on the horizon this covid thing uh, we we had stuff to go work on in the studio. Everyone cleared their schedules, and then, bam, no can do. So everything's on a, on pause. But yeah, you're right. Uh, you you can just run on your back catalog, and it seems that that's what people really want, anyways. Um, but no, there's there's new stuff coming, and but all right, so and, let me uh, let me connect the two real quick here, and uh, okay. Not, not, but you're 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 saying that you want that you're in the process and you're going to make some new music and it'll be available soon. But you also say you can run on your back catalog. So 
When you're making a new album, then, do you look back and say, okay, we have to make songs that sound like Vices and Welcome to the Club because that's what fans want from us? Or do you say, the heck with it. We've got new fans, new fan base. We've got a new singer. Well, not new. He's been there 12 years or whatever, but still. Do you say, we just push the envelope and give them a 2020 version or 2021 version of Kick-Ax and we don't look back to 1984? How do you sort of put it together? Well... Yeah, we 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 went that direction full on with with the with the fourth album that we did in two thousand four two thousand five whenever it was actually actually hit the streets, but was recorded in two thousand four. Uh, yeah, we just went with a whole bunch of stuff that we over the years we were all writing, you know, and holding on to stuff and and then collaborating as well when we all got together. So we ended up with I believe fourteen or fifteen songs on that record on that album and uh we just went with it and we got we got we got some backlash you know from the diehards that just want to hear heavy metal shuffle part two you know (laughs) you do face that there is a backlash it's it's kind of strange and so and uh, you can't win and you can't you you can never win because if you give them that song if you give them heavy metal shuffle part two part three part four You'll have some fans that go, oh, my God, you can count on it. I love it. And then you'll have other fans that go, oh, it's always the same thing. They never progress. They never do anything. Exactly. <laughs> but then you do progress and you do something completely different. And then they go, oh, it's not. Yeah, you're- and you're just like, oh, shut up. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but trust me, uh, we, we're more than ready, willing, and able. And I'll throw in the word capable of delivering a really good, good kick you know, here we are in the roaring 20s, uh, ready to go. So uh, now we just got to wait for the all clear from the science people, like everybody else in the whole wide world. We can't do a damn thing right now. Um, but there is, we got irons in the fire. Let's go with that. And uh, a, a lot of it will be very reminiscent of the good old days, the 80s. And uh, there, there'll be some other stuff that expands upon the 80s. Well, see, that's good to hear, and, and, and I'm going to throw that out there, and I'm sure you've thought of this, but the album needs to be called Spectre General. That's the title, right there. That's hey! The that's the title, right there. I love it. Yes, and you get, no, a, you, get, you get some did cool Did you just art. come up with that? Yes, I did. <laughs> I did. See, uh, well, I'm, uh, you, I'll be putting that in my email to the boys here. <laughs> no, because think about it. You could you could do some great artwork with a general and all kinds of stuff, and you can have a specter general. There's a whole well, bunch. The merch is especially, unbelievable. It's, well, okay. Well, you'll you'll get credit for that concept. Care, yeah. Careful what you wish for. Yeah. Well, I'll take I'll take the credit, but you might as well because the the, the specter general played on you. So it, it's time for you to get revenge on that name and and, and take it back anyway. Hey, and maybe somebody will even crawl out of the woodwork and try to sue us for it, and then we can really clobber them. We'll find out who who it is that did all this to us. <laughs> See, there you Anyways, go. they're they're probably long gone, but I, I love the concept. Yeah, we're under a specter right now, aren't we? We are, and, and uh, yeah, actually, and and I just think, uh, listen, I'm just thinking of the t-shirt concepts. That that's where the money is these days, <laughs> and you've got some great t-shirts there, but. Let let us leave it on that for today because we we we've gone over the thirty minute mark and and Ooh. and this was we're at forty minutes. This was fantastic. I mean, this was this well, was fantastic. 
Well, thank you, Mitch. It was a pleasure for me too. It's always great to, you know, to come across someone that wants to talk about uh, some things that would have, could have, should have been, but uh, hey, I got no complaints. It's never too late. It's never too late. And, and we need a Canadian invasion tour with you guys, the sweet, you know, honeymoon suite and, and, and uh, Helix and killer dwarves. All four of you need to go out there and whatever, celebrate Canada, do some Canadian dates, do some America. I don't care what you do, but that would just be a fun night of some of the best musicians on stage. I mean, the way, uh, the way Daryl Dwarf plays the drums is fantastic. The way you guys do the stuff, Derry Green in in Honeymoon Suite. I mean, he's he's Canada's Van Halen. Yeah, he's a monster. So let's, let's get that done. But, uh. This was this was great fun and and it's 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 a shame that the business sort of chewed you up and spit you out but you're still here and you're still oh, yeah. you're still doing it and it just goes to show that Canadians are a resilient resilient bunch we don't give up. Nope, we're very resilient and uh yeah, it's uh, well, I don't know where to go from there but uh yeah, if, We'll, we'll we'll just wait out wait out the storm here the specter of COVID nineteen, yes. or if you're R Kelly COVID eleven. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't sure like I COVID nine. I don't like COVID nineteen very much. I I, I much it's prefer too old. I much preferred <laughs> one through eighteen. They were they were they were a lot better. <laughs> oh. All right, that's a, a very bad tasting joke. I uh, edit that one out, Mitch. But uh, okay, uh, I, I better let you fly, my friend. And it's Merci. such a pleasure uh, to chat. And uh, if we can do it again sometime, if you got room for some, you know, some uh, more chit chat. Absolutely, absolutely. And as we say in Montreal, merci, merci, merci. Have a good day. All right, Mitch. Great pleasure talking to you. Cheers. This has been Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. For more exclusive content and interviews, subscribe on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, and many more. Follow Mitch on all the socials, especially Twitter, at Mitch LaFon, and on Instagram, at Mitch underscore LaFon. Get your Mitch merch now at loudtracks.com slash Mitch.